0: You gotta be able to adapt. You can come in with a hard position, but in your own mind, you gotta be able to understand that there is an opportunity to get something done if you find out from the other person what's important to that person and be flexible about it.
1: Hey, y'all. You found the Fishing Business Podcast. I'm awfully glad you're here today because I've got a really special guest for you. Um, In fact, I'm honored that this guy took the time. He is such a big-time player in the sports world that I'm very honored that he took the time to be on the podcast today. His name is Rick Harrow, and Rick is the CEO of of Harrow Sports. Now, he's an attorney and a consultant, and he's been the deal maker in over 100 uh, deals for big stadiums, arenas performing arts centers. He really pioneered public private partnerships coming together to get these new deals done and also to get naming rights for these deals. You know, gosh, 30 years ago, you never heard of a, of a stadium being named. Rick is the guy who put all that together and came up with those concepts. Now, since then, he's been at the table of a lot of big sports deals and he's become the expert in sports business. You've probably seen him on ESPN or Fox. Anytime there's a big sports business story, they bring Rick in to do the analysis of it. So, as I said, I'm very honored for him to be here today. I think we can all learn a lot from Rick. So, listen closely, you guys. This is going to be good. Rick, you're known as the leading, sort of, you invented... Sports business, and as far as I'm concerned, how did all that happen? Well, I know you can't tell us the whole story, but tell us a little bit more about your background and how you came to be sort of the ultimate insider in sports business.
0: Well, I'll tell you part of the story. Uh, I'm older than everybody else. That's why. <laughs> oh, oh, oh you are really the story. Yeah. So, so I grew up in Miami, and I. Really had a passion for sports way back when. This is psychotherapy, but my dad died when I was 11. And the last thing I remember from him is in the hospital giving me four season tickets to an expansion team that was ultimately going to be called the Dolphins. And nobody knew what that was. And he said, We're going to go to all the games. And he knew this was the last time he was going to see me. And it was really, in retrospect, kind of something that I thought would imprint. And sports was very important to me with him, even more important after he departed. And to this day, Uh, I have those four seats at Hard Rock Stadium, don't sit in them, sit with the owner, and we kind of look at those seats with little plaque under them, and it was kind of neat. But that's not the story. The story is, I really wanted to do something in sports in Miami. We had no major league teams other than the Dolphins. Harvard Law decided to do something to get in sports, didn't know what that meant. So ended up writing a thesis on fighting in professional hockey growing up in Miami you go see the Bruins and the Blackhawks. That's not sports. Well, it is to people who grew up in, in hockey. Right. And the professor, I'll, I'll end this. This is quick, but it's an interesting story. The professor said, well, you know, that's a great idea, but there's no such thing as sports law. Now, this was in the 70s. And I said, you know, that's not really true. And long story uh-huh. short, here's what I'll do. I will uh, play you in a game of squash, which I never played. And if you win, I'll suck it up and I'll do corporate and tax and all the crap you're supposed to do in law school. If I win, you know, write me a hall pass to Fenway and Schaefer Stadium and Boston Garden and I'm going to do a, th- a survey that turns into a thesis, turns into a book. Well, two things are important to that one. One is my coach, who was a friend who ended up being my squash coach, John Roberts, who's the Chief Justice of the oh, Supreme wow. Court, yeah. which is a big deal, really important to me, and we talk about that all the time. And second, the guy was 83 years old, and so yeah. I ended up beating him. <laughs> Got the hall pass, first ever sports law uh, paper, sports business paper, Harvard Law School. Oh, my gosh. Par- parlayed that. And, and the point was, I, I was kind of driven into what sports law would be. Now, got into the field and friends said, look, it's the wild, wild west. You got to go to a normal law firm. The only way you can be an agent is if you got somebody to call you an agent. And I decided to do all of the sports stuff from the facility side, did the Miami Heat, Miami Arena public sector appointee, consulting business, all the stuff from there and now the media. But my point, I guess the message is, I had to define the field because it wasn't there. And today, when I give my speeches, whether it's for fishing or for soccer or for baseball, the answer is, well, it's a lot more structured and a lot easier to chart your path. But there are 438 schools that are law, administration, sports, business, so it's a lot more competitive yeah. so it's always a, it's always a trade-off
1: that's incredible that's incredible and when you say you did the you did these deals you kind of gliss over that but that was a big deal there weren't a lot of naming rights back in the day right and there weren't these public private partnerships that brought these big infrastructure into cities for sports
0: there wasn't a lot of old, there wasn't a lot of stuff uh, back in the day except a lot of bull yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people wanting to think that they were qualified to be sports uh, uh, lawyers agents business people why because they know how to read a box score well you know yeah. it's a lot different than that as we know and yeah. the old stadium stuff i kind of fixed on it uh luckily uh the way you built a stadium in the old days and everybody who uh, uh, sees this podcast in the northeast can relate even atlanta you know fulton county stadium you got yeah. a round stadium Philly, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. You put baseball and football in there, not well, but you put them in. You increase the property taxes. It's a hundred percent public. You call it infrastructure, and it's a public facility, kind of like the Acropolis and the Parthenon back in Rome. This is Mm -hmm. it. Well, the costs are less than they are today, but a lot less, a lot, a lot less creative. And so, when I came back to Miami, the deal was: you certainly can't have uh, a a team. uh, you, You can't have your friends a sports team come in. If you have no house, you got to build a house. And so it was this old orange ball, but fixing on building a new arena in Miami and then the next arena and then the next arena, I could write a book. Oh, I did. And so the bottom line of all of that is that you can't really, uh, focus on other aspects of the business till you get your foundation. And luckily, you know, a hundred of these deals later and 50 years of the business. And now We're looking at infrastructure again and and, and President Biden and building it back. We haven't really focused on this part of the debate once the money gets allocated. But there are a lot of communities that really need facilities Mm -hmm. today, jobs, economic impact. You know, in 1922, it's not a history lesson, but Yankee Stadium was done largely because we needed something to focus on recovering from the Spanish flu epidemic 100 years ago, is public that right? money, and that was an interesting deal. And yeah. then 10 years later, the Orange Bowl was built in Miami along with a few other stadiums as a work WPA to get us out of the recession. So mm-hmm. this is no different than building roads and bridges and streets and parks and libraries. Now it doesn't dominate, but it's coming back around.
1: Well, that's great. By, by the way,
0: by the way, by the way, time out, time out before we even go any further. Happy birthday to you.
1: Oh, thank you. Come on,
0: man. I mean, happy birthday to you. We are recording
1: this on my birthday. I appreciate that a lot. 42
0: years old, baby. You come Come along (laughs) right.
1: Hey, listen, so that's a great segue when you talk about the history of the sport and you talk about all these, the the part of the history that you've been present for, Uh, you have a book called um, The Sports sport business handbook which I have right here and I think I was just talking to you before we started recording I think this is like a, a college degree in a book and anybody involved in in sports business and that includes the fishing business because you said that back in the day the sports business was the wild Wild West and the fishing business is kind of in the wild Wild West yeah. right now it's developing and and it's uh, you know it's forming around itself and, and taking shape but it's a it's a big business the fishing the recreational fishing is a Two hundred billion dollar business, and so um, there's a you know there's a lot to be done there. So I want to ask you, how did your idea come about for this book?
0: Well, so a couple things. First of all, if it's a two hundred billion dollar business, why can't I catch a damn fish?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's another issue. All right, you'll help me with that eventually. Yeah. But the but the colon here, which is kind of interesting, the, the 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 second part of the title, insights from a hundred plus leaders who shaped 50 years of the industry. And these are friends, and these are business folks. And with all the deals that I've done, uh, it was actually uh, Jerry Colangelo, who sons uh, uh, Diamondbacks, USA Basketball, Coach K's friend, which is why he wrote the mm-hmm. forward. And we were talking, as and, ta- and Paul Tagliabue, former NFL commissioner, we were talking in separate conversations. And I said, why don't you write a little op-ed, and I'll co-write it for you. And I'll talk about Where's the industry gone in the last 50 years? And they both said, all right, that's fine. That's a great idea. And then Paul said, and we said together, why don't we get some of our mutual friends to do it and we'll put, turn it into a book? And Paul said, all right, I'll write that chapter. I'm going to New Zealand. I'm backpacking. I don't have time. I'll write the chapter, use my name. We'll do it together and we'll do the book. So Colangelo, Tagliabue, then got Coach K for the forward, Mark Lazarus, who we all know, NBC Sports. He said, yeah, let me do it. Tony Ponturo, who we know, Anheuser-Busch for 30 years, all about sponsorship. Bob Kane, IMG, Phil DiPagiato, Octagon. When you look at this, let's forget uh, any sport and let's assume fill in the blank. And you look at the book and just say, it's a fishing business handbook. Everything in here is relevant, just oh like everything gosh. in here is relevant to other sports, too. So Ab- that, that's how right. it happened. Yeah. It's a it's a giant Ponzi scheme.
1: Well, and that is the truth. Any sport you're you're interested in, and really, and I I say this all the time about my Fishing Business Podcast, it really goes beyond some of the, a lot of most of the things that we talk about, and most of the things in your book are just good business principles, no matter what field you're in. So if you're interested in business and getting it, being successful, and leadership, and marketing, all of those things are covered in in this book, and it's it's a really good one. In fact, I wanted, there was a couple of things I wanted to ask you about. I know, and one of my favorite things that I've read so far is Stephen Jones, who is—he's Jerry Jones' son, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, Jerry Jones' son, but but he's also, um, uh, you know, heir apparent to to well, there's the the Charlotte Anderson, and there's a there's a whole Jones family who are just a tremendous. By the way, that's why the Cowboys are worth five point seven billion dollars in the latest Forbes issue because of people like Stephen and obviously Jerry.
1: Yes. And, and he, he's the COO of the Dallas Cowboys. And one of the things I really loved what he said in the book. And I say this a lot to my listeners. And he said, um, uh, some people think selling is a dirty word and I, and that it's beneath them. I think that's very arrogant. That's a very arrogant viewpoint. I, I, I struggle a lot with a lot of my listeners and viewers who, who tell me, I just don't know how to sell myself. And I always say, Rick, and I want to see what you think about it, but everybody's a salesman. What makes a good salesman?
0: Well, it is interesting because what I did in the when the game is on the line, were mm-hmm. one of the people. I think three people bought the book: my mom and 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 your you and your relatives. So that was great. <laughs> thank you. Uh, but that book had ten kind of keys to business success mm-hmm. fifteen years ago when I didn't know any better. And then I took the uh, the sport business handbook and I tried to apply those principles from the eyes of the hundred people who wrote chapters for me Mm -hmm. and it was amazing the fit it was almost a one-to-one fit so what it did is validated the principles and some of those principles and we have in here a specific reference to jerry jones uh, and Stephen that uh, you got to create a win-win situation if you want to get something done and you want to make sure that you use good uh, common sense and you've got to be able to get to yes we've heard a lot of that well what that is is negotiation it's sales, it's consensus building, it's gets people to agree with stuff. Now, if you want to uh, figure out where to go on a flat to maximize the catching of fish, or Mm -hmm. if you want a tea time that you want and your partner wants a little later, or you wanna buy a home, or you want to do a $100 million stadium deal, the principles are basically the same. You got to find out what the other person wants. You got to find consensus. So the selling is a, you know, these are not commissioned car salesmen. It's assets. But what do you have to do? You got to reach consensus. You got to make somebody feel good. You got to get to yes. All of those principles in the book apply no matter what. Uh, If somebody says selling is beneath somebody and cheap, they just don't understand.
1: No, I agree 100%. And, and you know, uh, uh, some of my listeners may be guys that haven't taken a lot of business classes, um, don't consider themselves businessmen, but they are always, they're still, they, if they could look at some of these things that you talk about in your book and look at them in a more abstract way, they do the same thing every day, whether it's going down to their local tackle company and saying, hey, I need, I need X amount of baits. Can you help me with that? And what can I do for you in return?
0: Well, here's the other thing about that, too. Uh, The folks who define their business acumen and knowledge by having a business degree or business classes are mistaken because it's common sense and it's how to live your life. Let me just digress for a second. The 10 words that I used to encapsulate what we had talked about, and it's, again, common sense, negotiation. Uh, So it's vision, flexibility, resistance. Collaboration, perspective, urgency, passion, preparation, selling, there's a word again, and listening. But it's all related. And mm-hmm. it's like when you go down and buy bait, when you go figure out what to do for dinner with your significant other, exactly. whether you do, it's all those kind of principles. And, you know, business schools take a funny title, charge you big tuition, do case studies. And by the way, I teach a sports law class at Harvard Business School. So I'm I'm <laughs> so talking you're about one of them. myself as well. <laughs> but you don't have well, and you don't have to succeed. Your key to success is not only going to classes. Your key to success is is using common sense and figuring out how to deploy it.
1: That's right. I agree 100%. And then another thing that I I, I really liked in the book, I immediately went, you know, of course I scanned through who was in it to see if there was any people that I knew. And there were a few, but I immediately went, Anheuser-Busch was one of my clients when I worked at BASS. And so I immediately went to the um, chapter with Tony Venturo from Anheuser-Busch because he's such a legendary marketer there. And they're a legendary brand marketing and sports business and one of the big pioneers. But he talked a lot in the book and I want everybody to go read it. But he talked about why sports sponsorships um, are so meaningful because they allow a brown to, to cut through the clutter and to really connect with a fan. Now, fa- sports fans are passionate, but fishing fans are passionate too. And, um, and who do you think, who do you see right now that's doing really well with cutting through the clutter in sports sponsorships?
0: Well, it's kind of hard to define, but there are a few examples. So, this FTX company, which is a company that does this non-fungible token stuff that I have ah. no idea and don't understand and wouldn't do it for a minute. I don't know why a coin with a picture of an ugly dog is going to increase value 400%. And then Elon Musk turns around and says, don't buy it. And then it decreases. We ain't touching it. We ain't yeah. touching it. But the bottom line is they did a hundred plus million dollar deal at the old American Airlines Arena in Miami. Now it'll be FTX Arena. And there are high stakes, high value, high investment commitments to all that. Why? Because this is a way to stand out amongst the clutter. Naming rights for facilities, special companies, esports as an industry is doing very well. The old, same old, same old outfield sponsorship. You know, I went to the minor league opening at Petco Park's founder, uh, Larry Lucchino, called Polar Park in Worcester, Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. last week. And he had some stuff on outfield signs. I looked at it's minor league baseball. Where are all your corporate sponsorships? Well, we think less is more. So we're going to change uh-huh. it around a little bit. And so we'll have a couple of things. We're calling it a fair poll, not a foul poll. And we're doing a whole bunch of little things that are going to cause people to think about it. Not just, oh, here's the minor league parks. So we have 9,000 sponsorships. Right. Whether it's... So I assume uh, the the whole the whole television aspect of... And it's another issue of... What, what do you watch now do you watch tvs right. do you watch devices is it streaming but it's like nascar uh bass cars like nascar right you have right. you have the the corporate sponsorships on on the boats on the fisherman's mm-hmm. jacket on the tackle boxes and everything else well, well that's marketing 101 but right. the people that succeed are the ones that push the envelope beyond that and then people whether they're fisher people or not will say hey look at that look what uh look what uh ESO did or look yeah. what this company did because right. they really made a difference. It's not filling a program. It's making a difference. Agreed. By the way, did I, did I, before we, did I tell you happy birthday yet?
1: Yeah, <laughs> Yes, you did. Thank Sorry. you.
0: All right,
1: <laughs> All right. All All right. we're going to take a so little quick sure. break here, y'all. And when we come back, <laughs> I'm going to get Rick to give us his three best uh, tips on negotiating skills that everybody needs. So we'll be right back on the Fishing Business Podcast. I really want to hear from you to know what kind of questions you have and how I can serve you best in this podcast. The easiest place to reach me is probably at Facebook or Instagram, where you can find me as Fishing Business Podcast or on YouTube. But you'll have to search for me there by typing in Fishing Business Podcast. Holla! All right, we're back on the Fishing Business Podcast with Rick Corro. Um, Rick, you've done uh, 100 deals worth more than $20 billion. So you've got to be fantastic at negotiating or deal-making, I think is the same thing, right? So tell us what you think are the three negotiating skills that everybody needs.
0: All right. Here's number one, got to be flexible. And as we said in the book, uh, whether Jerry Colangelo changed his arena deal, whether uh, Gary Bettman Uh, focused on the lockout at the NHL and playing a hard game of chicken. Everything in this book focuses on many premises, but one is you got to be able to adapt. You can come in with a hard position, but in your own mind, you got to be able to understand that there is an opportunity to get something done. If you find out from the other person, what's important to that person and be flexible about it. Uh, The second is, and, and this is interesting. Um, don't take yourself too seriously and have a sense of humor. I changed that around from uh, perspective. You know, 10 years ago, I was a little hard, hard, hard ass word. So it's got to be perspective. <laughs> all right. So now it's have a little bit of a sense of humor. Don't take yourself too seriously because uh, everybody wants kind of the same thing to succeed in life. And yeah. if you can figure out how to make somebody feel good about it, not manipulating, yeah. but just create an environment that's more agreeable. That, to me, is a very important... And you know what uh, else, to, Rick? Not
1: to interrupt you, but people no, want to enjoy their jobs. So if you can make yeah. the process fun and enjoyable, why not do that? Everybody wants to have fun at what they're doing every day.
0: Yeah. And yes. And then third, and it took me uh, 80 years. I'm celebrating my 100th birthday tomorrow. It took me 80 years to figure out this issue because I was a control freak bordering on narcissistic not very able to listen and listening to me is incredible because you know don't don't cut the person off listen to the end of the sentence and don't figure out what your answer is going to be until you kind of hear how that person formulated what that person wants and it's corporate to corporate business to business media as well you know my media stuff that I do I have always been told by producers, you know, you're usually ahead of the person who you're interviewing or, or, or with, but damn it, let them at least finish the sentence before you climb down their throat. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's this whole reacting to and how you want to maneuver life. So all three of those have something in common, which is putting that other person in a position to succeed. And that would be very important because you're going to end up getting what you want.
1: Right, right, Rick. You you have been so generous with your and vast knowledge today. If people wanted to see more and learn more from you? Where could they find you? Uh,
0: at Ricaro, um, I don't, I don't tweet, but I have people. There's a there's a there's an entity, uh, a, a new media company called Sports Grid, which is now just bought by or will be by by FanDuel out of the bag, and they have. Um, Every kind of out ahead uh, promotional device. It's started with gaming, but it's all mainstream. Uh-huh. I have a sh- I have a show on Fox, which is now Bally's, called The Icons with Harrow. We interview some key people, and it's on monthly on all of the Foxes. Okay. Oh, usually, usually after the fishing show. so it's on the Fox oh. regionals, which oh, well, is which perfect. is kind of cool.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: right. and, and I and I do segments on ESPN and Yahoo Finance. So so look at Horosports dot com. Uh, look at the uh, the. Uh, 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 website, look at at Rick Haro, yeah. and uh, look at the wanted poster in the post
1: office. <laughs> no, we'll never find you there, Rick. Thank you yeah. so much. I appreciate all your time today. Thank you for being on the fishing business podcast.
0: Happy birthday.
1: Thank you. <laughs> that could be one of the best podcast guests I've ever had. Rick Harrow, incredibly smart man. Y'all try to get his book, the Sport Business Handbook. I'm going to link to it in the show notes and show you where you can buy it. But I I tell you, this is like an MBA in a book. It's like a master's degree in business, sports business in a book. And if you took the time to read this and applied these principles to your own life and what you're trying to do with your life, I guarantee you, it would help you. I am like loving it. I'm reading it every spare moment, and um, and it's it's I'm just it's very valuable to me. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. I'm going to sign off this week the way my favorite fisherman al- always signed off his show by saying, "This is dedicated to Dad because he always had time to take me fishing." See you next time, y'all.